Hello and welcome to yet another instalment of our Nucleus Wealth Insight Series. Just a quick reminder that the following presentation is general information only and does not take into account your personal circumstances. Whilst Nucleus Wealth aims to present informing and sometimes entertaining content, please consult your investment professional, financial advisor, or better yet, speak to us before making any decisions based on any of the themes discussed in today's presentation. And don't forget that this is a live presentation, so feel free to drop any questions you like in the chat box below and we can answer them along the way. If you're watching this after the event, make sure you attend the next one so you too can participate in the live Q&A section of our presentation. Our presenters today include myself, Tim Fuller, a certified financial advisor who's worked with hundreds of clients over the years, helping to make the complex simple for companies such as AMP, Mercer and independent advisories. Sitting across from me, we have David Llewellyn Smith, co-author of The Great Crash of 2008 with Ross Garneau, also the founder of internationally acclaimed Diplomat magazine, and now chief editor of the enormously popular macro business financial blog. We also have Leith Van Onstelen, our resident nucleus wealth economist, who has spent time with both the federal and Victorian treasuries, along with some time as an analyst with Goldman Sachs. Leith now co-authors the widely read macro business financial blog with David Llewellyn Smith. And finally, we have Nucleus Wealth's Head of Investments, Damien Klassen, whose 25 years in the world of finance has seen him as the founding partner and head of research at analyst firm Aegis Equities, head of quantitative strategy at Wilson HTM, and was responsible for mining, energy and big data in the $60 billion global quantitative equity fund at Schroders, who are a multinational asset management company. And for more information, of course, please check out our people section at www.nucleuswealth.com. Yes, so hello and welcome to our next instalment of Nucleus Insights, uh, which we've entitled Australian Housing Boom and Doom, or Boom to Doom potentially as well. We'll find out uh, at the other end of today's presentation. Um, I'm sitting here, of course, uh, with the with the big three, with Damien, uh, Leith, and David. Uh, so we've got a full house today. We've got uh, a number of uh, uh, graphs, as always, with uh, with Leith's work. So um, if you uh, if you're listening in on a podcast, please uh, feel free to, to head over to our site and grab the PDF of the uh, the graphs as well, if need be. So uh, we'll jump into the agenda today. So we're going to have a, a national overview, uh, pretty much just taking off from uh, where or continuing on, sorry, from where our last uh, housing special left off. We're going to focus on uh, Australia's uh, major city there, Sydney, and also uh, look at Melbourne as well. We'll have a look at some government policy responses to uh, the housing boom and uh, potential doom. Have a look into the future of what's next for property prices in Australia. Uh, and then, of course, as always, we'll wrap up with uh, investment implications and how we use this information uh, and in the ways that we do to position our portfolios uh, every day here at Nucleus Wealth. So I'll hand over to uh, our resident chief economist, Leith Van Onselen. G'day, Leith. G'day, Tim. G'day, everyone. I apologise to everyone. There's going to be a lot of charts. Uh, that's what I do. <laughs> um, look, the, 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 the purpose of this presentation is to, uh, is to basically give a state of play of where the Australian housing market is now currently. Um, a couple of months ago, we did one on uh, a, a different sort of one on, this, on the housing market, which kind of gave you the history of um, you know, where we've come from and, and how valuations rate historically and that kind of thing. So you can check that one out if you want more of a historical perspective. Um, but the first chart we've got here, this is the, uh, this is the quarterly uh, dwelling price growth, uh, current as of yesterday, which is the 18th of July. Um, 
which comes from CoreLogic. And what it shows is the quarterly value growth across the five major markets as well as nationally. And what it shows is that three of the five major markets, um, that Sydney, Melbourne and Perth are all currently in the red. Um, nationally, house prices have fallen by about uh, 1% in the last quarter. Sydney's down 1%, Perth's down 1.1%. But the, but the big surprise is Melbourne is actually leading the price falls at the moment and Melbourne's fallen by 1.6% uh, over the most recent quarter. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of slowdown going on. Um, if we skip across the next chart, we've got the same chart here, but this actually shows the, uh, the annual change in dwelling price growth across these same markets. And, um, again, as you can see, pretty much every market... Uh, bar, Adel bar, bar Adelaide are now all, um, all experiencing either falling trend growth or negative price growth. Um, Sydney's leading the way. Sydney's house prices are down 5% over the past 12 months. Um, Perth's are down 2.1%. Melbourne's barely positive but falling fast. And nationally we're down 2.2%. And only uh, Brisbane and Adelaide are, uh, are showing any growth, although Brisbane's price growth is also falling. So uh, it's a pretty 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 negative picture and uh, the housing market so far this year has slowed down um, fairly abruptly. Um, so far from peak, from uh, the most recent peak, national values are down 2.6%, uh, led by Sydney which has fallen by 5.1% and Melbourne that's down 2.5%. Um, and Perth, Perth's values as we know have been falling for, uh, for a number of years and Perth's actually down about 12% from peak. Wow. So we're looking at a pretty sizable correction there, and Perth's values have actually, uh, Perth's rents have actually fallen by about a quarter as well. So they've got a double banger going on. It's probably what twenty percent in real terms in Perth. Or yeah, anything? probably about that. It has been a number of years. Perth's been falling. So once you factor in inflation, it's probably looking at more like twenty percent. And I believe there's uh, there's there's more to come. Um, skipping along to the next chart now, I'm going to break down a few different uh, a few different metrics here just to sort of give you an idea about how the overall housing market's going. Um, this next chart, I've got a chart of, um, of actual dwelling sales, so the volume of uh, sales across the five major, mar major markets, which comes from CoreLogic. And what, what this, uh, this chart shows is that um, the volume of sales is, uh, is, is crashing, and it's almost hit um, the levels that we saw in the depth of the 2011-2012 uh, bear market, and it's close to the lowest level uh, in 20 years. Um, sales have fallen about, about one quarter or 24% since July 2015. And uh, as I said, they're now tracking near 20-year lows. So um, it's not just prices, it's also volumes that are falling. Um, price tends to fond follow volume too. That's right, yeah. You see that later on, I'll actually track uh, prices against volumes and there's a very, very strong correlation. Okay, sure thing. And um, so auction clearances? Yeah, same thing again. Actually, uh, sorry, can we just jump back to that just one sec? Sure. And, and then so the, sure, um, the, the new builds, what are they running at? Uh, that's I cover that actually later, uh, but the but, but, but relative to this, so um, new builds are running at uh, about one hundred ninety thousand. One hundred ninety. So, so ballpark, and and that's a pretty significant high. So ballpark, I guess, that if you actually separate new builds away from existing, then um, there's, there's tiny, I guess, in terms of the actual number of existing. Does that make sense? Sorry, what I'm trying to get to is if you said if you took away the the hundred ninety. From, from that just to say well what's there's there's a proportion of houses that are coming out that are new builds that almost yep. have to be sold yeah and then there's the the next set of houses which is the parts that's that's the transaction transactional part about people actually buying and selling and so that looks like that's going to be even significantly 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's well, be, yeah, so I, seventy thousand. I, I get where you get, get where you're at. Uh, so, so if, um, if actual sales are running about two hundred sixty thousand, we've got new builds of about one ninety. So when I say new builds, that's the net additions. So um, right, that that's basically net addition to the dwelling stock because when they when they build new properties, they often demolish old ones. So there's not actually net supply increase. Um, but yeah, so that's running about 190. So uh, established housing is probably falling a lot, lot heavier than that. Although I haven't tracked it. Um, well, they, they, and again, this is only at the five capital city level, not nationally. So nationally, it's even it, the the overall sales volume is a bit higher again. But I, I guess um, jumping into the the auction clearances again. But uh, it, the auction clearances is the secondary market, isn't it? You typically don't find new builds being auctioned. Yeah, that's so, right. Although although auctions are, auctions only account for a very small portion of overall sales. Mm-hmm. Um, it's only about twenty five percent. So right, and and really only in Melbourne and to a less extent Sydney. Melbourne's the auction king, but even then, it's I think it's only about one quarter of total sales. So um, yeah, it's a secondary indicator. But auction clearance rates have also crashed. So um, We've got auction clearances running uh, at about, you know, in the low 50% range, um, actually in the 40s in Sydney, so about mid-40s in Sydney. And this is down from around 70% at the same time last year. So we're looking at a pretty heavy decline in auction clearance rates, uh, as, as well as prices and obviously sales. Mm, okay, very good. And uh, jumping across into uh, finance? Yeah, look, uh, housing finance growth is, uh, is, is again falling. Pretty much all the indicators are falling at the moment. Um, so the annual growth in housing finance is about to turn negative uh, after running at about 15 to 20% growth per annum during the boom. And um, this has been driven by falling investor finance growth. So investor finance has fallen by 7% uh, in, the year the, in, in the year to May, which is the most recent. And that's, and that's a massive change. So that's negative 7% growth, so falling 7%, which is versus growth of between 20 and 40% during the boom. So investor finance is crashing through the floor, and uh, and as we'll see later on, that's one of the you know one of the big uh, indicators for house prices. Sure. Okay. Uh, what's the um, percentage of investors in the market these days? I remember it was quite high. Is yeah, it? it's about forty. It's about forty nationally thirty-eight to forty percent. Uh, it's higher, much higher in Sydney. So Sydney got to about sixty percent. It's now I think about fifty-five percent. Melbourne, so half forty-five. The mar- yeah, half the housing market. Is- That's right. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> as I'll show later on, when we, when we focus in on Sydney. It's having a pretty detrimental impact. Sure. And, and, and you know, actually chart the the growth versus investors there, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Okay, sure thing. Um, we'll jump across an, a, a bit of a hot topic with uh, with a lot of people, and particularly if you live in Melbourne and Sydney, is uh, foreign buyers. Yeah, pretty much. So as I said, everything's falling. So uh, pretty much all the indicators are falling, and and, and foreign buyers, home buyers, is no exception. Um, now, I'll just say from the outset, we don't have any you know hard data on this. The best we can get is survey data, which comes from NAB and ANZ does a similar one, which shows similar. Uh, statistics, but this um, th- this is just one chart from NAB which shows the demand for established property from foreign buyers, and as you can see, it's fallen across the board, but it's fallen particularly hard uh, across Victoria, which is you know really Melbourne and New South Wales. Um, so, at the height of the boom, the foreign buying boom, um, there was fifteen percent of established sales apparently were going to foreign buyers, whereas now it's about six percent. Um, so that's just the established market. And, no, no, um, no thanks to the Australian government. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Look, <laughs> yeah. I mean, probably think the Chinese authorities more than anything. But um, yeah, look. It, again, it's just another indicator. Uh, we've got all these indicators, and they're all sort of showing the same kind of thing. Uh, everything's down. Prices, auction clearance rates, sales, foreign buyers, finance, etc. Okay. What about supply? 
Yeah, it's, supplies, um, supplies actually pretty well balanced at the moment. Uh, so what I've done here is this is a chart just plotting um, national population growth against uh, the, the net additions to the dwelling stock. Now, the reason why I'm looking at net additions, and this data comes from um, the ABS's property price series, is because when you look at dwelling approvals, completions and commencements, they only count what's added, not what's actually lost. So when, uh, obviously, if you just knock down a home and you build a duplex, you're only adding one to the housing supply. Um, so this, this data here, it doesn't go back as far, it only goes back to 2012, but it, uh, but it actually shows the net addition to the housing stock. And, uh, and, and what this, what this, um, this chart's showing is that, that nationally it's pretty well balanced. Um, the population's grown by 390,000, uh, grew by 390,000 in 2017, and that first, that's versus a 185,000 increase in the dwelling stock. So, um, you know, some, some, I guess in some ways you'd probably argue it's slightly been oversupplied at the moment, given its uh, ratio of um, about two to one, um, okay. you know, population to dwelling increase. But a lot of that is high-rise, so they can't take as many people, theoretically. Yeah, because, you know, it's a commonly trotted out excuse is the, the lack of supply and into house prices. Um, I guess this is, this is evidence of the contrary? Yeah, well, I mean, certainly in numbers terms it is. Um, look, the... I, I do buy into the supply argument when we're looking at you know land values and um, you know scarcity of land. But when you look at actual physical building numbers, um, you know I can't make the same case. Uh, that you know it's pretty, it, it, it's a fairly balanced supply market at the moment. It's probably um, you know, uh, but, but again there are differences throughout throughout the country. Yeah, and we spoke before last time about it, uh, just saying you know that given the, given the total stock of housing is sort of like five million type type thing, it takes a very very small change in the percentage of in the number of people per house to um, to all of a sudden make a big difference, you just need a bunch, of, uh, you know, a few more people, a few more kids sticking around with the parents a little bit longer, um, you know, a few more people with shared flatmates, uh, a couple of holiday houses turned into normal houses, and all of a sudden that that supply issues aren't there. And I'd probably mm. say, you know, Perth, the, the, the stats Leith was talking about, Perth are, are a little bit of a good indicator in terms of that, but you know, because a lot of those is about saying, well, your rent will hold up because we've got this great population growth and all that type of stuff, but if if um, you know the population, we're dragging lots of people in. But you know, Perth's sort of seeing the other side of that. If you mm. if you if you're not actually um, yeah now that yeah now the mining boom's over, everyone's yeah. leaving, and that's yeah, the, the, tide's the going that's out. the key is that it's a broader economic question. Oh, like you have to have a stronger economy to support more uh, people who can afford. Yeah, that's precisely. Right. So if the if the broader economy weakens at all, then you start to see that denominator move and. And you can shift into oversupply really quickly, which is yeah. what happened in what Ireland, Cal- Spain, Ireland, California. California. Yeah, California was a classic. The uh, California actually is a bit like Sydney. It is actually got a structural undersupply problem. So they've got massively tight land market, um, geographical constraints like mountains and sea and all that sort of stuff. But in the run-up to the GFC, uh, or that US housing bust, there was just everyone was screaming shortage, shortage, shortage. And then when the economy turned down, um, suddenly more people, more kids stayed at home. More people, um, you know, uh, went into group accommodation for for rent, and then suddenly it got thrown in an oversupply, and that's purely because, um, you know, as Damien said, we've got about ten. Well, I think we've got about ten million homes in Australia. You only need a small fraction of people to stay at home for longer, or to move in with friends uh, and do share accommodation for mm-hmm. suddenly to be an oversupply. So, you know, demand is changeable as well. It's mm-hmm. not just about supply, uh, and it 
does uh, depend a lot on economic conditions. Mm, okay, very good. Um, looking now at uh, commitments versus dwelling price growth. Yeah, so so the next few uh, the next few uh, slides here or, or charts are really just looking at the immediate indicators. So the you know, sort of current indicators showing the outlook for um, for for prices. And again, like like the ones you saw before, they're actually very poor. So the um, the first chart here, this. What I've done is I've tracked uh, investor mortgages against dwelling price growth. And the reason why I've used uh, investment mortgages is that the correlation is actually higher than just total finance. Um, mm. You know, anyone who's watching these, these slides live will see that there's incredibly strong correlation between dwelling price growth and investor finance commission, commitment growth. So as, as one rises, the other one rises, one falls, the other one falls. And at the moment, uh, investor finance commitments are, are falling very hard. Um, as I said earlier, they were down seven percent uh, in the year to May, and that's um, that's a pretty ominous indicator for uh, for house prices. And um, you know, it's one of the reasons why prices are now falling. And there's a whole lot of policy reasons behind that, which we'll get into later. But that's just the uh, the the chart that's worth you know, the uh, metric that's worth bearing in mind and, there. And I don't know if I'm. I'm I'm reading into that. It'd be interesting to do the, the statistical analysis, but it does certainly look like. Um, the investor um, finance stuff, the investor finance increase actually lags um, prices on the way up. So, so prices rise and then investors all start start getting going on it. But it seems to lead it on the on the way down in terms of the, um, or at least be at least very much coincident on the way down in that when investor finance falls away, house prices suffer. Yeah, whereas, that's. The... Whereas on the other way up, it sort of seems as if it's almost a there's a slight, you know, prices start rising and then everyone starts piling in. Yeah, and, and, and I think that I think this chart's probably bearing that out to a degree. Um, if, you, if you look back, it's yeah, it does look like dwelling prices did did uh, did lead it a little bit. On um, you know, we're talking twenty years ago or even to ten years ago, but now since in the, in the most recent cycle, it's probably gone the other way. Uh, but yeah, there's definitely a strong correlation there, and you know, you could say oh, one's leading the other, but the fact of the matter is both prices and investor finance commitments are falling, and that's not a you know the, the particularly last, good sign. The last couple of cycles. Um Investors have have followed uh, first home buyer grants, so prices got moved initially by first home buyers, mm. certainly in two thousand eight nine, mm. and then investors piled in behind that. But the, I mean, this cycle is fascinating in that it's the first time you've got a complete divergence between the two. I mean, we got first home buyers, which we'll get into a bit later, um, holding up, but the investor component crashing, mm. uh, which is quite unusual. Okay, very good. So uh, we'll roll into five city. So uh, this is the five city sales volumes over price growth. Yeah. So th this is uh, like the similar chart. Um, volumes seem to, you know, um, match prices or lead prices in some instances. So uh, we mentioned before that sales volumes have tanked, um, but it, this chart here actually tracks it against the dwelling price growth, and you see that there's a, you know, like, like finance commitments, there's a hell of a strong correlation, and that the uh, the collapse in Sales volumes doesn't augur too well for how, for prices. Yeah, well, the interesting part here is obviously there is that strong correlation, and you know, obviously it could be an anomaly. But the um, right at the end there, where we've just had this last hurrah, perhaps of house price growth against falling volumes. Like, yeah. is that is that is that just the is that the top effectively where things are just hitting the bid and, and off we yeah, go? Yeah, that, that 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 was actually a similar phenomenon happened with finance as well. And what and what uh, at the time when I was looking at this and scratching my head because. It was just break. It was massive break from trend. Mm. Um, put it down to probably a big boom in foreign buyers at the times, who, who mm. uh, for for at least 
with, with respect to finance commitments, and I'm not as sure about volumes, um, a lot of them were paying cash mm. and uh, weren't using the financial system to purchase property. So mm-hmm. they were pushing up house prices um, without actually without it being reflected in uh, in mortgage credit. Uh, but now, obviously, the foreign buyers, the foreign bids disappeared. So now it's 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 reverting back to back back to trend, mm. you know, uh, back to the relationship. So if you actually went back a chart, you'd see the similar kind of um, relationship there between finance commitments as well. It sort of went out of whack for a bit, and then that's caught back up. Okay, sure thing. Um, so that that wraps up the uh, the national perspective, and now we'll roll into uh, Sydney, um, and we've got here an interesting chart that I, I guess effectively breaks up the Sydney property market into thirds. Would that be right? Yeah. So 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 this part of the presentation we're focused on Sydney and then Melbourne. The reason why I'm focused on these two is obviously they're, they're the biggest. Um, they comprise. Um, you know, forty percent of the nation lives in these two cities. It accounts for probably, I'm guessing, probably about sixty percent of the nation's value, the dwelling values, and it's obviously driving the driving the cycle at the moment. Um, th- this is pretty interesting uh, about Sydney. So, in July July one, twenty seventeen, the state government in New South Wales, as well as the Victorian state government, both bought in uh, first home buyer stamp duty con- concessions, mm-hmm. and um, basically, this has juiced demand and the at the affordable end of the market, and it's actually helped help to hold up values, but it hasn't saved the market at the higher end. And um, it's a classic demonstration of stupid policy. Isn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> the affordability measures made made all the affordable homes less affordable. Yeah, that's while right. While everything else gets cheaper. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Just 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 throw the first buy home buyer patsies to the wolves. It's basically what's happened. But um, so what, what what I've got here, what this what this chart shows, this comes from CoreLogic again, and um, it actually tracks the three bands of the market. So it's got the, the top 25%, so the most 25% most expensive, the middle 50%, and the bottom 25%. And what that shows is that it's actually the top end that's um, that's falling the hardest in Sydney. Uh, so over the most recent quarter, so the June quarter, um, the top 25% in Sydney fell by 1.4%. The middle 50% fell by 1%, whereas the bottom 25% only fell by 0.6%. And um, the the chart does show that the, the, the top the top end seems uh, tends to rise rise more during the boom and fall harder during the bust, and that's exactly what we're seeing now. And of course, as I said, the lower the lower end's been held up by these first home buyer bribes. That that greater, well, the divergence though that's greater in this dip than earlier cycles is again you could put down to foreign buyers, couldn't you? Yeah, yeah, but yeah, certainly. Um, you know, leaving the the high end market. As well as obviously the the, for the first home buyer bribes, um, propping up the lower end of the market. So uh, it's interesting. Okay, sure. And we'll roll into um, some investor finance specifically for Sydney. Yeah. So as we as I said earlier, um, at at the boom, um, investor finance accounted for about sixty percent of um, of Sydney's mortgages, and it's now fallen to about I think, I think it was fifty four percent the last time I looked. Uh, and, and, and that's been in response to macroprudential or yeah, just, just, and, and, and just uh, also partly a pickup in first home buyers as well because of policy changes, but um, but also just the investors leaving the market, and um, but but either way, you know, investors are the key driver of the city market. So what I've done is I've plotted um, investor finance commitments against dwelling price growth, and like the national picture, it's incredibly strong correlation, and um, investor finance commitments in Sydney are falling pretty hard. So. Um, they fell by 6.4% in the year to May, and that compares to a 10 to 20% growth during the boom. So, festive finance is falling uh, versus you know very strong growth during boom times, 
But again, this just points down further for, uh, for, for Sydney house prices. It's another negative indicator. Can I just make a point on that chart too? If you look at the post-2203 boom and bust and you had the long shakeout for investors uh, in the Sydney market and that's the period over which Sydney prices either fell or went sideways, definitely fell in real terms for quite a long period yeah. all the way through, which just underlines that the investor bid is the marginal price setter mm-hmm. for house prices, which is the point Leith is really making. They've yeah. got access to more finance than the first home buyers, so they're the ones that bid up prices. And tax deductions? Yes, quite. <laughs> and so they're the ones that, that really set the prices okay. when they're rising and, and then on the downside as well. Okay, sure. Excellent. Um, looking into uh, sales uh, volumes over price growth. Yeah, so th- so this is like the one I showed earlier for national picture, but it's just another one, uh, separate one for Sydney. And again, you know, very strong correlation between uh, volumes and, and prices. And Sydney's sales volumes are down 35% since the July 2014 peak. And they've actually crashed to close to the lowest level in 20 years. So Again, it's another bearish indicator for, uh, for for Sydney property. And it's also very negative for the state government, which is um, extremely reliant on stamp duty receipts. Okay, sure thing. And then we'll look into uh, uh, the suppliers, as we looked at before, in the national level now at Sydney. Yeah, so um, supply in Sydney's uh, pretty well balanced. Um, Sydney added 115,000 people in 27... Sorry, this is New South Wales, because um, the data only exists at the, the state level. Um, New South Wales added 115,000 people in 2017 versus a 50,000 increase in dwelling. So that's a ratio of um, 2.3 people per new dwelling, uh, which is a bit less than what the existing, um, what what it is for the overall housing stock, which is about, I think, 2.6 or 2.7. But um, the reason why I'd say it's pretty well balanced is that a lot of that is, a lot of the, 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 um, the, Dwellings being built now are apartments, so they, in theory, can't hold as many people as what mm. the uh, what the existing housing stock can, but which is more more detached houses. And they, but obviously, still register as one housing unit. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, so, so just looking at you know net additions. Um, so so that that's um, that's net additions again, which is you know uh, addition uh, construction less demolitions. Okay. So it's actual additions to the housing stock. Sure. All right, very good. And then on to uh, some rental vacancies. We haven't had these yet. So, yeah, uh, well, this, this, this kind of contradicts what I just said about it being well-balanced. It's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's probably actually, uh, you know, it, it, it's, um, I'll take that back, it's probably slightly oversupplied is probably a better way to say it. Um, Sydney's just hit the highest rental vacancy rate in 13 years, according to SQM Research. So um, SQM Research just earlier this week released its rental vacancy data for June, and Sydney's rental vacancy hit uh, 2.8%. Um, so it's above the national average, and it's the highest in 13 years. And, and Louis Christophers, uh, who's the head of SQM Research, came out today and said that um, said that he thinks Sydney's going to top 3% rental vacancy rate by the end of the year. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, supply is lifting, uh, which, disregard what I just said about it being well-balanced. Uh, <laughs> sorry, slightly oversupplied. Okay, sure thing. Again, I'll just make a point about the... Um 2003 to 2007 correction in Sydney uh, when um, rental vacancies were much lower Mm -hmm. and fell through the period Uh, and that actually led to a huge boom in rents uh, in Sydney uh, driven not just by by, um, low vacancy rates but also by very high income growth owing to the 
to the mining boom. As, mm-hmm. as you know, you can't leverage rents, so you need income growth, growth to really lift them. Sure. Um, but uh, the big rental adjustment um, that transpired over that period was one of the the price corrections that sort of backfilled the bubble post-2003. So rather than um, headline prices falling so far, rents rose mm. to meet... Um, you know the headline numbers, and there and therefore reduce the multiples, and make you know the the an adjustment that meant the, that the the market was more affordable, yeah. or at least made more economic sense. This time, with a rising vacancy rate, at least for the time being, that's not possible, and so you have this scenario in which you might have falling rents and uh, falling headline prices, and both of them chasing one another. So the adjustment has to be much more at the headline level. Yeah, and 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 look the. It's also a nightmare scenario if you're a Sydney investor because um, you know not only are you, is a value of your asset falling, but you, but your your rents that you're going to command are going to fall, and this is exactly what we've seen in Perth. Um, obviously, Perth's had it for years and it's a lot deeper, but it's the start of what we've seen in Perth, where you know Perth's dwelling prices are down 12 percent in nominal terms, but its rents are also down 25 percent. Wow! So, so if you're an investor, that that's a shocking scenario. Mm. Um, you know, you're looking at capital losses if you bought recently, and you're also looking at your income loss, income losses as well. Yep. Okay. So it's a pretty yeah. bad situation. And, and often, new apartments also have rental guarantees on it from the developer. Which um, so sometimes sometimes this is delayed in terms of the effect where you sort of you've been given a guarantee, of, and so even though people who are in the market and they've gone, yeah, I, I bought something two years ago and it had a rental guarantee of you know whatever five percent until I for, for that this is, is as they roll off, they start finding out well that's actually not the market rent. Yes, you got a rental guarantee yeah, for it's it, but two percent. But now, you, now you're taking a cut on the um, yeah on the rent you're you're actually getting. So yeah, well, and I guess the flip side of that is that um, from the, from the numbers perspective, potentially rather than there being a cliff, there'll be like a lift in vacancies as a number of as these large like so we've just obviously had this big apartment boom, in Melbourne and Sydney, and there'll be these um, guarantees that'll be dropping off, and then the market will hit, and then what will happen then? So essentially, it will come into the numbers as a higher vacancy rate, or or rents will fall. Well, I think I think in the end, what coming back to David's point is to me, it's a, it's it's what what are wages doing? Yep. Because um, given that that thing about the, the such a large denominator of houses and, and and the vacancies being a pretty small element in it, and you just need to have a few more people in or a few more people out, a few extra um, flatmates is that uh, it, it, if you've got strong wages growth, as we, as we did over that time, then you get strong um, rental growth mm-hmm. and that sort of feeds back in. But if you haven't got the wages growth, then um, then it's very, very hard to see um, any any rental growth coming out, even in tighter markets. Yeah, okay. You, you can't leverage rents. Certainly not. Okay, very good. So um, that's it for Sydney. We'll roll across in down into Melbourne. Yes. Um, and uh, we'll kick off with uh, Melbourne Dwelling Growth. I've got a couple, couple of questions here as well, but I might just wait till we're finished with the two cities and then we can jump into some uh, general questions from the audience. So Yeah, sure. Uh, th- this won't take too long. Just basically going through the same same slides as did for Sydney, I'm doing for Melbourne. Um, so again, we're tracking the... Uh, so, so the next chart here it's, comes from CoreLogic. It tracks the uh, quarterly dwelling uh, value growth uh, across the uh, three tiers, so the top 25%, the middle 50%, and the bottom 25%. And as I mentioned earlier, Victorian government also bought in first home by bribes, uh, stamp duty concessions in July 1, 2017. And this is helping to hold up the bottom end, which is actually increased by 0.4% over the last quarter. So that's against a, um, the whole market falling by 1.6% in Melbourne. 
Um, the middle 50% is fallen by 0.8% and the top 25% is fallen by 2.3%. So again, it's the top end which is taking the biggest hit, um, whereas the bottom end is actually helping to hold up the market um, you know, due largely to these, uh, to, to these policy bribes. From the government. Yeah, well, and it certainly looks like the Melbourne um, high-value properties are more pronounced in the the ups and downs than, say, Sydney. Is that is there sort of any any real reasoning? Do you think versus Sydney um, on that one? I'm just in terms yeah. of the highs and lows, they're dramatically higher um, in the boom time, and I'm, obviously falling a lot ha- harder in the in the downtime. I'm purely guessing here, but Melbourne uh, has been the epicenter for foreign buyers. So, um, but you know, th- this is really just a guess because um, we did see it spike. In 2015, the, the the high end particularly, and um, and that and that I think associates with the peak in the foreign buyers, okay. according to the NAB the NAB slide I put in up put up earlier. So that that's just a guess; it's an educated guess, but um, I can't say for sure. Okay, sure thing. Um, we'll jump across now to investor commitments uh, for Melbourne versus dwelling price growth. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's a similar correlation, very high, uh, not quite as bad as Sydney because Sydney uh, Melbourne's. Um, Investors in Melbourne are still the marginal buyer, but they're about, I think, 45% of, uh, of, of total mortgages. Um, and investor finance hasn't fallen as hard as in Sydney, but it is trending down pretty strongly. Uh, so, and, and actually, just putting that in context, is that, um, I think it's about 70% home ownership rate, isn't it, for, for Australia in terms of, so it's 70% own your own home and, and 30% investors. No, it's it's actually closer. To, I think sixty four or sixty five now. It's fallen okay. pretty heavily in the last couple. Yeah, last right. few census. Okay, but but I guess what I'm saying, I guess where I'm trying to get to there is that you're forty five percent. So let's so let's say thirty five percent are investors in the market and sixty five. So so still in finance, it's still actually well overweight, in so to speak. Like oh, yeah, over yeah, the long yeah, term, yeah, you'd expect definitely. over the long term you'd expect roughly the finance from from homeowners to be sixty five percent and and from investors to be thirty five. But um, when it's running at forty, yeah, if investors are running still at forty-five percent, it's still actually running. Run, they're running well above their their, their ordinary punching weight. Yeah, I, I um, to your point, I probably you know I wish I put it in the chart, but I, I track it as part of the housing finance series. Um, investors by by jurisdiction, and uh, New South Wales is way out in front, followed by Melbourne, but they're both way ahead of the other jurisdictions. So they're 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 both very much overweight investors. It's just that Sydney's even more overweight. Um, but uh, what, what this shows is that investor uh, finance growth is falling. Um, the trend is falling pretty hard. It did rise by 0.1% in the year to May, but it's you know it's coming off pretty pretty strong, and and that's versus five to ten percent growth during the boom. So um, it's just another negative indicator. Um, skipping along to sales again, this is uh, another iteration of the chart I've shown previously. Uh, Melbourne sales are falling um, quite sharply. And this is, you know, helping to drag down prices. Again, there's a very strong correlation. Um, it hasn't fallen as far as Sydney, but it's certainly on its way, and it's falling very steeply. Um, Melbourne sales volumes are down about a quarter since uh, August 2000, since the August 2015 peak. So, just another um, another negative indicator. And then, shifting along to supply, um, I can probably say I said Sydney's well balanced. I probably should have said Sydney's slightly oversupplied, but. Um, but the supply is certainly tighter in Melbourne than Sydney, so I'd say it probably is you know fairly well balanced in, in Melbourne. Um, so we had so Victoria, uh, not Melbourne, uh, but Victoria, which is mostly Melbourne, had 145,000 increase in population in 2017 versus a 56,000 dwelling increase. So that's a ratio of about 2.6. Um, 
new people to dwellings, which is about what this, the city average anyway. So it's kind of marking time. But again, if a lot of that's apartments, um, you know, theoretically they can't hold as many people as the existing housing stock. Okay. And this helps to explain, go to the next chart, uh, why, um, why Melbourne's rental vacancies are a lot tighter. Uh, so I've got a chart here from SQM and it basically shows that Melbourne's rental vacancies back in the uh, early 2010s were tracking at about 3%. And they've fallen to about 1.6% now, and that's and that's below the the rest of the nation, or the national average 2.3%, uh, and excluding Melbourne's 28 And part of that is also because of Airbnbs. Um, Melbourne's the Airbnb epicenter, hmm. and uh, there's been a lot of reports about uh, the, you know, a lot of homes have been taken off the rental stock because because um, uh, you know, a lot of men have been, been used as Airbnbs. Airbnbs, yeah, sure. I've got a bit of an, a lot, an uh, anecdotal evidence. My dad lives in a uh, freshwater place, a high rise in Melbourne, and um, and that's and, and he constantly complains that you know the 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 apartments there have shifted from renters or owner occupiers to just massive amount of Airbnbs and it's mm. driving him nuts. And uh, so that that would artificially push down the um, the, the rental vacancy rate. Yep. Okay. Sure thing. More terrific policy. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I'll, I'll, grab, I'll jump across maybe just before we, we move into policy uh, responses um, into uh, a couple of quick questions. So we've got one here that uh, looking at long-term cycles in property, do you guys think we'll ever see a 20-year bear market in property? Hmm. Uh, well, I do. Yep. Yeah, I think we're entering one. Right now? Yes. Yep. This is uh, it? Yeah. Um, largely because... Uh, you know the the props, the major props to price growth, uh, are, are running out of um, petrol. Yep. Um, or being okay. taken away. Uh, no, no. Well, we'll also I, push I, the limit. Uh, yep. You know they're actually structurally inhibited. So you know monetary policy where we're close to as low as interest rates can go. Debts debts at a high. Um, household debt is is extreme. Uh, you know fiscal policy which which kicks in and supports. Uh, the bank's offshore borrowing, you know, down cycles is is going okay, but is definitely on the you know sort of skirting verges of downgrades. Uh, you know, the other major policy prop is is immigration policy. Now that's strong for now, but mm-hmm. you know you'd have to be um, deaf and dumb and blind not to see the political pressure that's coming to bear on that. I'm not sure how long that can tra- you know be held at these levels, mm-hmm. uh, and so. You know, I think the foreign buying phenomenon is done as well. Um, like, you know, of course you can't say for certain whether that won't return, but for the time being at least, you know, China's got enough troubles of its own that it's, it's going to uh, restrain capital outflow. Mm-hmm. Credit um, credit was incredibly loose, and it's uh, yeah, can't say it's been as loose going forward. Yeah, yeah. post-Royal Commission, you know, the distribution of credit's going to be much tighter structurally. Uh, so policy uh, like um, negative I, gearing capital gains no, no, tax reforms. Can't, can I throw yet. something at? Not yet. No, no, let let me finish. Hang on. Yeah. We was, yeah well, we're, and, remember, we've got policy responses as well. So, so I could see. Yes, I could see uh, a scenario in which um, we have a very, very long bear market. I mean, it might start with a bit of a shock, and we, you know, have a enough of a, a fall in prices to to shake psychology mm-hmm. uh, and then we managed to sort of bumble our way back out of it with some maybe with some quantitative easing and um, you know pulling the levers that we have at our disposal 
get a lower dollar and, and what have you. But uh, you know, even in those scenarios, we're so income constrained mm. uh, in the structure of the economy that we have. Even if it's driven by, you know, even if you persist with immigration, that I can see. I could see property falling in real terms for 20 years, sure. Yep. Well, in some ways, we've actually had it um, outside of Sydney and Melbourne for almost a decade. Mm. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, the, the, the other markets of after inflation are actually going backwards. Yep. Uh, so, you know, you can argue that their, their valuations have actually fallen when you put them against, you know, um, incomes, GDP, uh, well, gross state product, etc. So it's really, you know, Sydney and Melbourne have been driving this uh, the last 10, since the GFC, they've driven the boom. Mm. Um, you know, Brisbane, Adelaide, Perth's gone backwards. Brisbane's gone backwards a little bit after inflation. Adelaide's done nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I'm not sure about the minor markets, but so so we've kind of already seen that outside of Sydney and Melbourne. And there's no reason to think that we couldn't have the same thing all over again, where whereby um, housing gets slightly more, um, you know, it gets uh, the the valuations against the things that matter fall over a period of decades. Yep, okay, fair so enough. It doesn't necessarily so, have to be at on the nominal level. We've got a bull chomping at the bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah we'll better so hand over to well, Damien. Yeah, Everyone wants to go at this question. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> well, you know, as the, the joke is, you know, living in Australia, you get to, one of the benefits is you get to live with 25 million other property experts. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I mean, I think for me, the, the, the big issue there is is the 20-year thing. Is 20 yeah, years nice. is a hell of a long time. We're um, just and the question, the thing, the thing is, it depends on. How, to me, the the big question is how sharp is it? And, mm. and because if if it's a long, look, drawn out, if, if if the idea is that um, we're going to make a lot of policy, there's going to be a lot of policy thrown at it to try and hold the the housing market up, then I think yeah, in real terms, a, a twenty year bear market where we're sort of you know, it, as you said, it, it slow grind and and everyone tries to keep house prices as high as they can, but um, the flip side is something cracks and gets out of control, and you see some you know ten. Fifteen percent house uh, house price declines, yep. and um, in in short order, which is you know analogous to, to what we've seen in a lot of other markets. Um, then from from that, then I, then I think sort of you know you've got a, a short, sharp two or three year housing bear market, and now you're off you know in a, in, in the grind upwards again. So so really, you, you, your end point might not be different, different. Mm. but it, but you know if, if house prices fall say twenty percent. Then I'm saying, well, that's it. The bear market's over. Don't don't wait around for 20 years. Going, it's not going to happen. You know, yeah, yeah. It might from point to point in real terms over 20 years, you might not make you know any money or much at all you know, after inflation. But if you're buying at the you know after that 20% fall, then then it's not a bear market for you. Yeah. Okay. Fair point. Um, and I guess, uh, but the other, and the other side too is that um, you know there's obviously going to be listeners that are thinking from a house homeowner sort of perspective, and then thinking from an investment point of view. And I suppose it's about working out well. What you know, is there better opportunities for investment as opposed to is do I want to continue being a renter and having the short-term sort of nature of Australia's rental market thrust upon yeah, me well, as well and yeah, my family? We're, we're not going to. Um, and there's a lifestyle. There's a lifestyle, and you can't you Absolutely. can't you can't mix the two. Yeah, you, know? yep. you need to make a decision. If I want to buy, like you know, reading up, there's lots of horror stories already starting coming out after such a small fall of people buying places and, and stuff like that. But the, the question is, if you've bought a place for X thousand dollars and you're paying for it and you're still living in the house, mm-hmm. then what do you care what? And you're going to live in it for the next 10, 15 years. What do you care whether it's fallen or not? Yeah, yeah. So, look, to, look, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll add to that. I'm, you know, I'm a home buyer and blah blah blah, and no, sorry, homeowner have been for over a decade, and I want to see prices fall in the next twenty years. So I've got two young kids, and mm-hmm. um, you know, one of them's ten, one seven, and in twenty years' time, if it if you have a twenty-year bear market, fantastic! It means they'll have a chance. Yep, yep. I, I'm I exactly the same. I completely agree. 
Yep, fair enough. All right, in the interest of time, we better jump across to policy responses. I've got a couple of questions, but I might wait till we're finished with uh, the monetary policy part because the question pertains to that. So who wants to dive in on this one, David? Yeah, well, I mean, the obvious save that can come into the market is the RBA cuts rates again. Yep. Um, it's on record saying it doesn't want to go below 1% right. at any point, um, so that only gives it two rate cuts. You could you could argue it could go lower, but let's go with what they've said. Uh so, you know, the last time they did two rate cuts, it sent the market nuts again mm-hmm. um, for about a, what, 15% oh, turnaround yeah. turn or something, pop, and then they tightened macroprudential and, and popped that second round bubble. Um, if, if the RBA cut, then I would expect uh, some kind of rally mm-hmm. to transpire. I think it'd be much more mooted this second time around because lending stands are so much higher now than they were. Not to say high enough, just way less low. Yep. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, we're also very late in the cycle. And, you know, I, I think if, if, well, probably the key point to make is the RBA is not going to do it yet. Mm. Um, they wouldn't do it, I don't think, until Sydney and perhaps Melbourne are down 10%. Right. Uh, and the, the critical factor will be that they'll need to be contagion into the broader economy. Hmm. I mean, if if by some miracle they manage to support the economy with fiscal spending sufficient to offset uh, what will be a retre- a, most definitely a retrenching consumer mm-hmm. that are you know, chasing those prices down, then the RBA won't cut at all. Mm. Uh, okay. And you could actually see a, a, a genuine um, you know, fall in prices. Uh, so it's a high bar for the RBA to cut, but, but I mean, I'm on record saying I think that they will be forced to. Yep. yep. Uh, and um, and when they do, I think they'll, there'll be a rally, but I don't think it'll be anything like we've seen previously, largely because macroprudential is still there. Yep. Uh, and post-Royal Commission, etc. Okay. It also depends on mortgage rates too, because the banks could, uh, could could hold back some of that cut. And, they, they um, could. You know, they're, they're, and they would. Yeah, that's right. And their, bank, their funding costs are rising, so uh, we don't yeah. depend so much so actual mortgages. That's get. right. So there wouldn't be that much relief, so I, I wouldn't expect it to last long. I would actually think that, that it would be a temporary relief and roll mm-hmm. over again. Okay, sure. So I'll jump into the, uh, the question there. So the question... Um, was relating to uh, will, will we ever see negative interest rates to a point where debt holders are paid for their mortgages and savers are punished? Um, and I guess just uh, relating to a broader trend of negative interest rates, high debt, and high deflation pressures. So, will we, are we going to go the way of um, the 1970s? Yeah, well, essentially, I guess. Yeah, but I guess a question whether it's in real terms or not. But um, yeah, let's, let's well, assume on real terms. I think I think in nominal terms, we'll all say no. Yes. Yeah. Answer, yeah. But in real terms. Well, I mean, basically, what happened in the seventies was, um, and my, you know, my parents often say, "Oh, we pay thirteen and a half percent interest rates." In the seventies, <laughs> and I always like pay four dollars fifty for your house. Though, yeah, so. no, 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 no. But always, always, my, my, my response is always yes. But inflation was running at twenty one percent. Yeah. So you, and you wage, wage growth was ten, wasn't it? No, it was twenty one percent as well. <laughs> so uh, that that that's a that's a real negative interest rate. And the only way I think we could get to that is if they dropped, you know. The cash rate to as close to zero as they can get. Mm. Um, the banks, you know, passed a lot of that on, and then we had inflation pick up because with inflation running at uh, sort of two, roughly two percent. Um, wage inflation. I'm going to preface that by saying wage inflation. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, inflation's um, not going to be enough on its own. Yeah. So yeah, look, I mean, it's possible, but um, I don't. It's very difficult. Yeah, very difficult. It wouldn't be anything like the seventies when you had like seven percent negative interest rates. No. Mm, okay. And this is the problem, isn't it? I yeah. mean, this is why it's so difficult to get out of this 
balance sheet you know, overloaded balance sheet problem that we've got is you just mm. can't get uh, inflation inf- wage inflation up enough to make a difference and you need it to inflate the debt away mm. uh, so so basically all the inju- all the adjustment now is uh, in previous you know uh, corrections in the 80s and 70s and whatever prices did fall uh, mm. in real terms yeah. but it, it was on the real side because of inflation yep. not the normal side whereas now the adjustment's got to come nominally yep Okay, and, and sorry, can I, I'd like to, you know, uh, put a put a disclaimer over that is that you can't get inflation with the tools we're currently saying we're going to use. Yeah, yeah, it's not the fact we don't know how to cause inflation. Inflation's easy to to make; we just print money. Yep. But but there's a lot of constraints put on central banks and and government budgets in terms of saying no, no, you're not allowed to, and so it's got to be this sleight of hand QE type type thing that's going on. Mm. And um, Japan's, you know. A, central case for that is that if, if you're just using those same tools and, and trying not to print then 20 years later you, you, you're still in the same position you were yep okay great yeah. point never say never um, so just finally on the um, the fiscal policy and tax policies uh, in response uh, well macro prudential I should cover that briefly as well it's still tightening uh, as you know when APRA removed the 10 percent uh, investor limit speed limit for each bank they weren't allowed to lend more than 10 percent growth on their investor book they lifted that a few months ago but they put instead in place a regime uh, of uh, it wasn't LVR what was it debt to income I think limit six yeah. times debt to income limit it's not a hard limit they're internally managed uh, limitations that APRA will oversee uh, but but these are much lower than a lot of the bank books currently got and so they have not responded to the removal of the investor speed limit by lending more to investors at all because they're still busy trying to figure out how to get around this new limit which will actually probably force them to tighten even more Mm. on investors because they're still out of the money into you know they're still way over leveraged in terms of where Apple wants them to be so that's what we call macro prudential 3.0 and it's probably still going to be tightening not loosening uh, and the other macro prudential feature of course is the royal commission mm-hmm. we're still yep. not sure what that's going to rule on what it's going to demand especially in terms of you know assessment of income and expenses for the banks and the use of benchmarks versus individual um, you know expense categories and policies for the banks um, you know the banks have all moved in advance of that to to create greater um, granularity in the way they assess these things uh, and I can't see that going backwards. It'll probably only get stronger mm-hmm. after the Royal Commission uh, brings down its findings. So, um, macroprudential to remain tight, I guess is the point. Yeah, just on that, uh, you know, just today, which is Thursday, the 19th of July, um, there's an article in the ABC about how Westpac's um, copping a lot of heat because it basically lent a borrower, you know, a, ton, a couple of million bucks based on their household expenditure measure of their expenses. and. This is this is one of the problems. The um, the the banks have been using these this you know minimum benchmark called the household expenditure measure to measure everyone's expenses, and the Royal Commission's basically caught out, caught a lot of them out, and they've now been forced to, as Dave said, um, take into account um, people's actual expenses, which are a lot higher. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, you know, surprise, surprise. Um, but but you know, th- th- this is this has copped a lot of heat. Mm. Um, you know, there's another one today about it. Uh, you know, this so-called predatory lending and, yep. not, and not bothering to do the proper due diligence and credit analysis, which is what banks are meant to do. Yeah. This tips into liar loans. Mm. Yeah, liar loans, all that sort of stuff. And, yeah. um, and you know, I can't see that coming backwards. It's just uh, they've, they've been caught with their pants down. Oh, um, can, I, can I give you a scenario where it'll go backwards? 
is the the next we've got another what six months or so haven't we but so the banks all get their you know we all oh we're straightened up we're we're not look at all the lending we're doing isn't this responsible you know APRA hey look how responsible I'm being you don't need to you don't need to put stuff on that yeah those last guys who are running the place you know they did a terrible <laughs> job but, but we're 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 much more ethical and all that type of stuff we, we won't need these things the Royal Commission comes out hands down a list of these are all the things it should do and the federal government goes, yeah, that's going to crash the housing market. We're definitely going to do those soon when we get time, when we get around to it. Yeah. Yeah. We just have to get a few things in order first, and then we'll do it. Yep. And so, you know. You sound there's, like a macro your, business reader. There's, <laughs> there's your scenario that, um, that, that ends up being, you know, we, we know what needs to be done and what has, yeah. you know, to sort it all out. But I guess what I'm saying is uh, I'm, not, I'm not completely on board with the fact that um, it's all changed. I'm, moral, no. I'm morally on the boat, board with you guys, but I'm not completely on the fact that, that, that practically that's what's going to happen. Is yeah. you know, we would have said the same thing ten years ago about the um, about the uh, the money laundering stuff and in, yeah. in money laundering into Australian housing, and, and here we are ten years later with with still excuses about oh we just need one more review oh we, we haven't asked a few people you know there's a few more Australians left we haven't asked about this so we need to go and ask those guys first. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, so. no, that's that's fair enough. Well, that, that said though. Like these changes have been made. Yeah, by the banks. You like these are not mooted changes. They'd have to be undone, right? Yeah. So yeah, we're, we're not. But we're I think not. the banks are probably being a little bit stricter now than than. They yeah, might. I agree. They, they, they're straightening up as much as they possibly can. Yeah, yeah. Once, and it, once and the blowtorches, yeah, of course. Once, once, you get, once you get past the the crisis, most definitely mm. they could loosen off a bit. Mm. I mean, I, I I had a conversation with a developer last week who. Um, had a 20-year relationship with CBA and he had half a dozen developments uh, going at once and and he, he had to split between three or four different banks to get them funded because the CBA hadn't even set uh, its lending policy post-Royal Commission for his segment. Mm. Right? Mm. So they were just completely stalled out. Yeah. Like, not not because but, he necessarily didn't qualify. Yeah, but that's supporting me. No, I am supporting. Yeah, you. that's, that's the supporting point. my view that yeah, yeah. things are tight right now. Yes, yes. No, that's what I'm up. saying. I'm yeah. agreeing with you that okay. it, that it can loosen from here, mm. um, definitely. Um, but uh, you know, nonetheless, you know, there has been a, quite a tightening, and it, certainly it, relative to three or four years ago. Yeah, mm. oh, absolutely, it's yeah. there, and um, you know, money, monetary policy is still still close to exhaustion. Yep. So anyway, yep. moving on. Yeah, sorry, go on. Yeah, fiscal. Fiscal. Uh, well, we've got, you know, the first home buyer grants going already yeah. in the major markets. Sydney, Melbourne. Sydney and Melbourne. I guess that if it really came, push came to shove, there was an offshore shock, then the, the feds could maybe double them mm-hmm. um, as they did before, and that might, might deliver some short-term support for the bottom of the market. But again, unless, unless you're going to follow through with some gutting of of the raised lending standards, investors are really going to struggle to, to pile in behind that. Mm-hmm. So I would again see that as a short-term fillip that isn't going to last very long. Uh, and then finally, tax policy. I guess you know the key there is. Uh, uh, We've got a number of fronts. I guess one's obvious is the negative gearing changes yeah, Labor's proposed policy. and CGT by, by Labor, um, and but CGT. also also SMSF yeah. lending, yep. which. Which you know, Westpac's really shocked the market this week by pulling out of SMS lending, um, 
I question whether or not it's that commonly used as well. I think there's, there's, it's one of those things where you can say you're removing it for probably the reasons Damien said, okay, I'm going to tidy up my books a little bit. Um, an example was uh, removing the, uh, the fee for um, using you know, other ATMs, and, and if you actually look behind the numbers, no one's withdrawing money anymore, so it's a, it's a bit, of a, bit of free kick news there, I think, yeah, yeah, perhaps, potentially. Well, yeah, well, that may well be the case, given investors have been knocked on the head pretty hard. Mm. Nonetheless, they're, they're not going to do it, and CBA is the only bank left in the market of any substance that is doing it, Yep, um, and they may well be forced to follow Westpac. Yep. I mean, you've you got to ask yourself, why, why now? It might be, as you say, the demand's just not there, so it's an easy one, uh, but you know, it might also be part of the interest-only reset mm-hmm. issue, like yep. how much capacity have they got to make these interest-only loans, uh, and you know what components in you know of that repricing transpires in the front book versus the back book um, and you know can they do they have enough capacity to service the SMSF guys while they have to roll over so many you know in the reset yep um, like these are all unanswerable questions right now they're uncertainties but certainly it's you know we haven't even talked about the interest rate reset yet but um, you know that's just another very opaque um, negative that's sitting over the market. But, the, the, you know, the key one in tax policy is negative gearing reform. I'm not as confident Labor are going to win the election in it as I was. Mm. Um, I think that the coalition is is sort of slowly climbing the slippery slope of one nation, uh, you know, through its various lies about cutting immigration. Thanks for that mental picture too, yeah. by the way, but anyway... <laughs> I, I didn't say Pauline Hanson. Uh, um, so um, I don't know what's what's going to happen anymore. It's looking more and more like it might be a, an even money bet. And, and um, if house prices are down, then yeah. uh, well, 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 the thing is, if they do cut immigration, then I think they're going to win. You know, if house prices are falling, then they could big they, scare campaign. They for may, major scare campaign around negative gearing reform, and I think they get over the line. Quite frankly, yeah, uh, you know, and, and and I guess the thing is, if they're sort of building towards some sort of immigration cut by pretending to cut, uh, you've got Tony Abbott, you know, jumping up and down as well. Yeah, Dean um, Smith, and there's another yeah, couple Dean of Smith, senators have and, and and the rhetoric alone seems to be working to some extent to bring back, you know, the splintered conservative vote. You know, at least, you know, the 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 um, anti-immigration voters in in one nation get some comfort obviously from the coalition from that rhetoric um, if it's not enough then they probably will have to be you know make a decent material cut to immigration and if they do I think they'll win the election so um, I'm not sure that that's such a negative anymore well it certainly will be if it transpires but it's it's not as clear cut as it was yeah and, and, and even if Labor does get elected now they, they've committed over and over again to you know um, restrict negative gearing and halve the capital gains tax discount but yeah, by the end of the year, Sydney's dwelling prices could be falling. You know, the, the falls could be approaching ten percent. Mm. It's already at five point two or something. And, you know, uh, it could be eight percent by the end of the year. And by the time the next election is, might have, they might have fallen by ten percent. It's going to be a lot harder for them to justify cutting negative gearing into a market that's down so far mm. with, um, with falling rents as well. Exactly, yeah. falling rents as well. So you know, the, it, it's great policy. But it might come at exactly the wrong time. They might have to go. Oh, you know, it could be bad politics. <laughs> that's it. Bad politics. And as Damien said, they might just go. Oh, you know, we'll delay it. Like, mm. oh, yeah, we're still going to do it. We're just going to delay it for a year, and then 
like the money laundering stuff and then five years down the track I'm still waiting. Just just one quick one um, and in the interest of time we'll, we'll get moving a couple to go but um, the, uh, the, the on tax policy um, thoughts if I throw this one in the mix of um, potentially uh, lowering taxes to create effectively a, a pseudo wage growth and solve that pseudo um, wage growth problem that we have do you think there's an advent of of a tax a tax cut to help juice demand, perhaps, and essentially. Well, it is it is in the tax package. It's all the high end. It's all yeah. I was going to say. Well, obviously, it'd have to be a fairly broad base. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's where the investors are anyway. Haven't yeah. They? Well, that's the thing because obviously, if you're lowering the tax rate, then you're lowering the the impact of negative gearing. So it's sort of I guess they sort of work in lockstep a little bit. But then obviously, you're wrecking public income revenue, aren't you? So is that something that they do you, th- do you think you'd ever see that on the horizon? Is that well, a lever that might be pulled? I mean, the only way they could do it. I mean, I don't think they will do it. But the only way they could do it is if they abandon the company tax cuts and instead, um, you know, put that money towards. Um, you know, broader tax cuts, which the coalition's already sort of muted. Okay. But they don't come for a long time, mm. uh, most of them, and most of it's at the, the, so, the, the top 20% anyway. Yeah, right. Yep, so yep. it's, you know, uh, the, the very people that have a low propensity to spend or yep. they have a high propensity to save, they're less likely to spend their money. I'm afraid the, the opposite is probably more likely. Right. I mean, you, you know, whatever tax cuts we get through in the next couple of years are more likely to have to be reversed. Yeah. Once, you know... China's growth will continue to slow, you know, whether it, it happens fast or slow or up and down and whatever. In trend, it will slow, and their commodity demand is going to fall. Mm. So, you know, prices have not bottomed in commodities, and that's the key input into into um, national, income. national income and budget revenue. And once we get back there, then, then these, um, what, you know, lovely cyclical tax cuts funded by... <laughs> Um, sorry, structural tax cuts funded by cyclical upticks in commodity revenue will, mm-hmm. look, will look very stupid. Sure. Yep. Um, and so we'll probably have to like raise taxes again. Mm, interesting. Okay, we'll jump into um, uh, one of the other, I guess, uh, government policy responses uh, near and dear to <laughs> the heart of the, uh, the MB following, which is, the, of course, the, the ability to just open the taps on population. Uh, I think it would be electoral suicide. To do it now. I mean, the, uh, the the last five, the five most recent opinion polls um, have shown overwhelmingly that Australians want lower immigration, and in fact, if anything, they've strengthened. Uh, so we've had five over the last six months. Australian Population Research Institute, Guardian Essential, a couple of news polls, um, and uh, Australian Population Research Institute. I think. I mean, I'm not sure I mentioned that one already, but um, yeah, the most recent one came out last week. Showed three quarters of the people supported the coalition's so-called immigration cuts mm. and, uh, and, and, and the level's been increasing so yeah. but, but is, yeah. isn't that the point isn't that the, hey guys look over there look over there look over there and yeah, the but population I mean, keeps ticking up but yeah, yeah well I mean yeah. I, I don't know if you can it's actually fallen that, that I think that chart might be a little uh, a quarter too old but the um, you know population growth actually fallen a little bit again so it did get up to 400,000 now it's back down to like 388 or something mm. okay. uh, it's going to be very hard to increase it from here especially given the um, you know how how hated it is by the electorate. So you know maybe they can maintain that, but I don't think they can really just open the floodgates and get it up from you know roughly four hundred thousand to five hundred thousand or six hundred thousand. I think that's you know far too difficult. What the, I mean, you got to remember as well. There's a very strong market dimension to immigration, mm. where you got to have jobs yeah. to draw people in. And if you look at the chart there, like there's a reason immigration crashed during the GFC. 
you know like people just don't move when things get tougher yep uh, and um, so you know given how aged the business cycle is the likelihood is that we'll have a pretty decent downturn before we have any any new boom of any kind of any kind for house prices at least yep um, you know the, the greater likelihood is that at some point we're going to see immigration fall fall cyclically mm-hmm. if not structurally um, and I, I could certainly see the government pumping it like coming out of that yep uh, especially if house prices at that point at that point have corrected yep you know they'll want to be pulling all of the the levers they can uh, but Leith's right it's really on the nose yep. big, big time and you know it doesn't matter what polys say now it's the polls that matter yep and you know they're always 12 months 18 months behind the curve the polls yep. are always they're the, always the last to know yep uh, and when when you start getting polling like we're getting on pro-immigration cuts, which is anywhere from sort of fifty-five to seventy-five percent support, that's just that's you know just gold to yep. a poly. Yeah, yep. <laughs> especially the lowy one, the lowy the lowy one, which came out a couple of weeks ago, which is close to sixty percent, I think. Um, yeah, fifty-six. Yeah, fifty-six. Yeah, I mean it's pretty close. It's all been fifty-four to fifty to seventy-five, but the, there's four there which are about fifty-two to fifty-six. Yep. Yeah. Uh, they're all about the same, but there was the lobby one I think that really got them between the eyes because that because that because you know um, they're they're sort of inside the political tent. Yep, yep. The others are just like you know newspaper polls or you know Australian Population Research Institute are hated anyway. Uh, that, that's Bob Burrell's group, and you know they're, they're um, the government just pretty much rolls their eyes when they get that. <laughs> no, it's excellent. Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah, that's okay. right. Lowy's inside the bubble. Very good. Um, so we'll just um, might just quickly lightly cover off. We've we've probably done most of these answers to death, but the, the stiff headwinds looking forward. Um, the uh, kicking off with obviously bank funding costs rising. We've seen that lots of out of cycle rises. Probably plenty more to come from the sound of things. Yeah, foreign deposits, international, domestic. Yep, as well. Yeah, uh, I mean it, nobody can quite put their finger on why it's happening. Out uh, deposit outflow is certainly a factor. It's 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 lifted the demand for wholesale debt in the banks, uh, which is not very good at this stage of the cycle. It's very bad, mm-hmm. um, and uh, we've never seen a deposit crash like the one we're seeing at the moment. Mm. Uh, interestingly, it's driven by sort of the, some of the stuff that we're doing um, at the MB Fund, where there's huge outflows um, of deposits into offshore equity. Yep, yep, uh, and stuff. So. You know, some interesting shift. What, what David meant by that is we're investing in, in a, we're taking money from from investors usually who have it in term deposits and putting it in international equities. Yes, yep. okay. sorry, I didn't mean to swear. Speaks by Healy, yeah. but um, so that's causing some of it. The other the other thing that we think is is part of it again is the Royal Commission. It's just you know when it's it's structurally lowered the perception or the reality or exposed the reality of. You know, Australian credit quality is just not what it was thought to be pre-Royal yeah. Commission. And so, you know, people investing in the banks just want to be compensated, want to, want to be compensated for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we think that's structural. We think those, those um, high funding costs are here to stay, at least until we get to the end of the global business cycle. But even then, it will probably stay higher than it used to be. So, yep, all the banks have hiked. The, the majors are going to have to hike. Yep. Um, Interest only mortgage cliff. I mean, that's very big as yeah. well. Um, 120 billion or 180? I always forget. Uh, I think it's the the, the 180. Yeah. Um, but it just runs right through until 2021, I think, the reset, because it was all interest only through the last boom. 
uh, and they, you know they are all sort of three five year terms. Yep. Uh, and and so as they roll off, the banks are going to be able to extend and pretend on some, but not all. And we're we've seen a very uh, I can't say big because it's not big, but obvious jump in bank, in major bank arrears rates already. Yeah. Um, it's only not big because arrears rates are so low. But it's still high since the nineties. Um, it percentage terms, it's a very big jump, but it's just that they're still, you know, I think arrears rates are still about one point five percent, something like that. But but they the major banks now have the highest arrears rates since the nineteen nineties, as Leith says. Uh, and um, that's giving you some indication that not everybody's able to roll off to to roll over these interest only loans. And the reason and why it matters is and we're only at the beginning of that, yeah. so um, you know, that should get worse. Yeah. yeah, and the reason why it matters is, uh, you know, if you're on an interest-only mortgage and you go to principal and interest, um, your repayment levels go up by, by an estimated 35 to 50%. Mm. So, so your, you know, your, your, your bill, your repayment bill rises, yeah. which obviously gives you less disposable income and et cetera. Yeah, or you sell it. Yeah, that's right, yeah, or for sale. Yeah. That's a big headwind. Uh, sure. And then, then uh, yeah, labour and uh, its reforms, which... It would be a terrible tragedy if those reforms don't get up, but we're a bit concerned about them. Yeah, it's purely a timing issue. Yep, yeah. okay, very good. All can, right. can I close, uh, before yeah, sure we jump then. off that page, so so let's go the um, the, the property bulls argument just to see, you know, I just want to see where, where you guys sit, is that the, because um, I find it interesting as well, obviously MB um, has been speaking for a long time about property markets and, and most commentators were, were along the lines of, no, no, everything's fine. You know, maybe we'll go sideways. And now, now markets have fallen five percent. They're saying, oh, well, maybe they'll fall again for a little bit longer. But, but everything will be fine. But, but I guess the, the general argument goes. Um, I'm not saying I agree with this argument, but but interested to see your comments. Is that you go? Well, look, yeah, things are a bit uh, rough over the next six to twelve months. While with this Royal Commission stuff gets sorted out, then then we'll then we'll loosen up a bit. So so uh, there'll be elements back on there. Uh, property prices will fall. Uh, let's say Labor doesn't get in, so you don't have to worry about those changes. Maybe the federal government start throwing a bit more money at at, at the issue. Um, RBA's maybe got a little bit more cuts. The funding stuff falls away, so banks can 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 give back a little bit more. Um, uh, what else have we got on the on the thing that the immigration. the immigration stays, you know, stays at current levels. Might not be increasing, but you know, it's still still historically very high. And and um, by the way, the the actual number of builds has fallen away dramatically, and so we're actually ending up with a bit of a shortage of houses because we're still running this high inflation high um, set of yeah, immigration. But the uh, the builds fall away over the next six to twelve months, and, and we're left with a bit of a hole in the um, in the future. So you're, you're you're saying that's the bull's argument? That's basically the bull's argument, as far as I can tell. Yep. Okay. Well, I would say that if the builds have fallen away that much, mm. jobs. You, you'll have a pretty nasty jobs impact. Yeah. Uh, and you know what are we saying? House prices have fallen another five percent. Mm. Um, so you know you'll you'll see quite a lot of consumption, negative consumption impact. Hard to know exactly what that means. That might mean unemployment up to six percent. And then, then the RBA cuts, as you say. Um, yeah, I could see a rebound for a bit, um, but can you get sustained credit growth? Um, I don't think you can, but there's there's an argument that you know maybe well, something else will come along and there'll be another mining boom or there'll be another something else. More well, I can't I can't see another going. boom. Yeah. Um, like there's no, no there's no another bot mining boom coming, mm. but maybe 
maybe there's a, a magical boom of some sort like you know we we, we do get hit in the ass by rainbows on a, on a regular basis um so you know there might be something you know, you never can tell yeah um, I, guess but I just can't see credit growth being able to to rise enough with such limited income prospects massive debt massive debt um structural constraints on the banks uh running out of interest rate cuts i mean i just i don't know where you get the next lift well you know the last boom was interest only yeah. Mm. What's the yeah, next what's one? Next? Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, I, I, I guess. You know, well, we can let we can let people at their super just go. Yeah. yeah the next one, interest and principal only. Like, principal. Oh, like, yeah. Is it free money? The we, next we, one. I mean, I we, we need a, we need like, a way to get retail super people to invest their money in. I mean, actually, I do think I do I do think the next one is free money. No, negative interest rates. Yeah, and 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 quantitative easing. I have come around to the to the notion that the RBA probably will end up going that way, when the rest of the world does into the next bust. Yep, the RBA may be forced to print. But but when you're in that scenario, you know interest rates, market interest rates are are already kind of running away from you, and the RBA is just trying to contain the damage. Yep. You know, it's you're already into unprecedented territory. Mm. I'm not. I'm not sure that's going to deliver you lower mortgage rates. Is but the point? Yeah. I guess, look, I, I guess all I can say is there's not a whole lot of no, not much upside, and there's a lot of downside risk. So yeah, that's yeah. pretty much where I'm at. I mean, yeah. you know, I, we, we, with all this stuff, I've been watching this long enough to say never, never say never. And uh, you know, I believe it when I say it. But I guess all the indicators that you've seen today are all pointing down currently. Yep. Um, but they're only you know short term indicators, so. Um, yeah, we'll just wait and see. And I guess we'll probably do another one, another one of these in another six weeks or something. Yeah, so yeah. Do, do them regularly to yeah. give regular updates. And prices will be up five yeah. percent. <laughs> yeah, and I'll be. I have to get the cork back into the champagne bottle. Is yeah, that? I, 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 might, I might be sick that day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, very good. Okay. Well, look. Um, uh, we'll just roll finally into our uh, investment impact. So obviously, uh, the uh, you know day to day investment uh, team that and the way that we. We view the information contained here, herein, and and also mm. obviously the other the other areas of the Australian market. Um, we've got a quite an interesting graph of the Australian index um, there, Damien, uh, for for what is it, property exposure, I guess, within the ASX. Well, yeah, what I've done is just sort of tried to to, to give you a look at you know what the um, what the MISCI Australia looks like. If you, you just sort of, which basically it's pretty similar to the ASX 50. It's about got about 70 stocks in there. Um, so if you if you start with direct property on the on the left, and you've got about 10 percent of um, of the market sort of in, in whether it be things like realestate.com or, or, or uh, REITs or developers sort of sit within that area. Fairfax? Uh, <laughs> did, I didn't actually, uh, they're not in the, um, they're not, they're, they're, they've shrunk out the way out of the uh, the top sections of the market. Oh, okay. That's a bit disappointing. <laughs> um, so they're not in the MISCI. The, um, the finance sector then, sort of banks and, and insurers, sort of makes up that, that next. That sort of gets you to 50%. So, so I guess what I'm trying to look at is if you had a big property uh, price fall or, or even just you know this, this um, uh, quite a, a steady growing down for a long t- period of time, just which, which are the sectors that are most directly hit first? So, so that sort of gets you 50% of the market. Um, then you go the uh, property, what I call property develop- dependent industrials, and these are these are things like uh, like Har- your Harvey Normans and and um, some of the discretionary retail that really when it when it sells, it, it sells based on the on the back of the property cycle. Um, something like a Bunnings, for example. Um, yep. You know, very people's property prices are going up. They spend a lot of money on renovations. Uh, when property prices fall, it tends to to drop away. 
So that's sort of, and then you then you add in consumer discretionary, which is the more um, sort of exciting areas of the market, which grow, tend to grow when the markets, when the Australian economy is growing quickly, they grow quickly, and when the Australian economy is growing slowly, they grow slowly. Sure. So that gets you roughly um, two thirds of the market in terms of the, which is sort of pretty directly exposed to a property uh, market downturn. You know, whether it be be quite dramatic on the on the, on the end of a direct property um, through to um, the consumer discretionary. So, um, uh, yeah, so I guess what, what I'm saying there is, you know, our overall picture is um, if you're looking for something to uh, protect you from the, the uh, if you're worried about the housing market turning down, you're looking for something to protect you, you've either got to go to small cap stocks in Australia yep. um, or you've got to uh, take your money offshore. Mm-hmm. And that's basically the, the decision. We, we invest in large cap stuff. So we, we create a, at, at Nucleus, we do like a core portfolio for people with, yep. with all large cap stocks and, and large cap bonds. and The bluest of the blue chips. The bluest, exactly. We're trying to run like the, the lower risk. And so um, we just very much struggle to find a sector that's not exposed. And the, the final bit, which I've sort of left off there, the, the, you know, that goes to 80%. The rest of it's um, either industrials that directly sell overseas. I, I think of as international companies like a CSL or a Cochlear. Yep, dollar um, exposed. Or, um, or it's resources. Mm-hmm. And so um, you know, the issue for, obviously, if, if some of this is based on China slowing, is that, that that area doesn't really protect you at all either. So... Um, yeah, if, you, if you're worried about property as, a, as a, uh, if you're worried about China slowing and a property a, con- a coincident property falling down, then then you pretty much have to take your money um, off. Sure. Okay. Sure thing. Thank you very much for that. Um, and I've just got one final question. I'll throw it open to uh, the panel. Um, and it's on the note of, of investing. I've just got to bring it up here. Big pardon. Here it is. Um, so which um, and obviously uh, it might be an interesting answer to this, but which bank is the most exposed in terms of low doc and liar loans? Just as a, and this is probably almost. Look, I, I, well, I, I could throw my answer in well, there. I'm not even sure that the banks would know that at this point, but um, <laughs> potentially would well, they? Well, uh, <laughs> our our banking insider Deep T calls it mega bank, and he doesn't yeah. distinguish between them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that's probably the best way of looking at it. Yep. Um, if I had to pick one, I'd say Westpac. Yeah, me too. Like it's been the investor-friendly bank for for many a year. Yep. Uh, and even over the last 18 months, as, as banks have tightened dramatically on investors, Westpac's been out there sailing alone, mm-hmm. building its book versus um, everybody else's contractions. Yeah, generally and, speaking, and NAB and ANZ are more business-focused. Yeah. So, okay. so well, CBA might get a look in, depending. Yeah. They've, they've, obviously, they've been pretty good at... Um, at stuffing a lot of stuff up over the last few years, they and, have. Um, so you know, every time somebody peels back a layer, they find yeah. uh, a lot more of dead layers. <laughs> yeah, it would certainly be, away, be so. between those two. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Very good. Okay. Well, look, oh, actually, sorry. The yep. other thing, though, it is it is worth noting as well is that usually what happens um, in when markets are running hot, a lot of the small players um, they call them the lender of last resort. Mm-hmm. Whereas the first person, the first time you you want to take out a loan, you you roll up to CBA, and when CBA says no, guys, sorry. We're not going to we're not going to take you or one of the big banks. Then then you start down the, your list of some of the smaller guys. Yep. So there's certainly a number of the smaller banks which um, you, know, you really don't know. You know, basically anyone who's expanded quickly, um, you know, you look through their book and and chances are if you know people don't the, the the bank of first choice isn't turning up to one of these smaller banks. And so if they're expanding quickly, it's usually because they're they're a little bit laxer on um, their lending standards. Well, I'm okay. not sure the big guys knocked anyone back, man. <laughs> Okay, very good. All right, look, uh, thanks, guys. And um, what we'll do now is jump into some information about Nicholas Wells. So if you're worried about the Australian property market and looking for somewhere else to invest, uh, here's some information for you.
Nucleus Wealth and the Macro Business Fund was put together to help give you access to quality, well-researched stock analysis and superior macroeconomically minded asset allocation. We use technology to help us provide a service typically only available to high net worth and sophisticated investors at a fee level that rivals the more basic solutions available to these everyday investors. We do this by using separately managed accounts, which allows clients to enjoy unparalleled transparency in what they own and why. It also means that each client effectively owns their own separate and discrete share portfolio, which is managed by us. We have partnered with Linear Asset Management, who are backed by the ANZ Bank for Cash Management and JP Morgan, one of the biggest banks in the world, as custodian of your assets. We feel that this structure is the gold standard for your financial protection. In addition to this, we offer 19 separate and individual ethical screens that you can use to help tailor your investment. To ensure that your money is not being used to support companies that deal in areas and practices that you feel are important. By eliminating the areas that are only important to you, you keep the potential for higher returning areas that you might otherwise be ambivalent about. And these would typically be ruled out in broader ethical products currently available in the market. The name Nucleus comes from our ability to provide the core holdings of a client's portfolio, allowing them the time to explore areas that may be of interest or they may have experience in. We also offer a complete investment solution for those who don't have time to coordinate their own investments. Our investment team has decades of experience in world markets and we have access to a global team of stock analysts. By removing the layers of middlemen that typically sit between your money and the markets, we've been able to reduce fees and provide unparalleled transparency in the solution we provide. For more information on what we can do for you, please call 1300 623 863 or contact us through www.nucleuswealth.com. So thanks very much for your attendance today and I uh, hope you got something out of it. I certainly did. It was a, a bit of a marathon uh, webinar. Thanks very much to uh, the three gentlemen in front of me as well. So um, we, uh, I hope you enjoyed it and I know that we will be bringing you uh, further updates on the state of the Australian housing market going forward. Um, now next week we are, as always, uh, running another one uh, on Thursday, the, uh, which is uh, entitled, sorry, entitled the Nicholas Insights Deep Dive into the Australia's uh, labour market. So we're going to have uh, another run through from our uh, Chief Economist Leith to uh, to give us a bit of a look at how the Australian labour market's going uh, and where we think it's headed. If you're interested in that one, head over to proton.nucleuswealth.com to register your interest and we can keep you abreast and give you any information on that one as well. As always, uh, we are available on uh, Apple iTunes and uh, wherever your quality podcasts are found in Android, Podcast Addict is, is one we recommend. Uh, head over to, the, uh, to those uh, applications and look for either Nucleus Insights or Nucleus Wealth uh, to find uh, today's podcasts uh, and also, of course, uh, any of our previous ones. And just finally, uh, thanks again for your attendance and we will be uh, sending out a survey if you have registered interest to give you a chance to give us some feedback on how we've gone today uh, and also put forward any uh, topics that you would like us to present in the future. So once again, uh, it's been a pleasure to bring this to you and I look forward to catching you at the next one. Cheers.